You are listening to the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at lifepoint.cc. If you have your Bibles, you can open up to Hebrews chapter 4. The Lord is here. Amen. These are such holy moments when we gather together. We're dealing with sacred things when we gather God's people under the banner of Jesus. It's something really sacred. I know some people don't understand um, why we worship the way that we worship. And um, I really feel like that's something the Lord has been restoring in the church over the last number of years, beyond even just our local church. I feel like it's something the Lord is restoring in the church, allowing it to go beyond just uh, superficial, stylistic preferences and allowing worship to be about him, truly about him. And that's what we are unapologetic about. Um, and if some come and they don't come back because they feel like we worship too long. Um, but I've, I just don't care because <laughs> I, I want unapologetically for our eyes to turn to him and for this to be about him. For, for when we gather, people not to necessarily know who shared the word or who was leading in worship or even the name of the church. They're just like, there's a Jesus people who are so in love with God. They truly love Jesus. That's my prayer. And uh, that's something that's just, yeah, I've been stuck in my heart for 20 some years, no, 25, 30 years now. Um, I remember as a teenager encountering the Lord, some of my first moments of really experiencing the presence of the Lord, um, where it's like nothing else mattered but him. And those experiences changed me forever. I, would, I went home soon after some of those moments with Jesus in gatherings like this and picked up my mom's old 12-string guitar and just began to figure out how to pluck these strings and allowed that heart of worship like David to come out to the Lord, just me and him. And I would be that kid, 13 years old, right here at the front of the church, it wasn't this church, but a building like this, and me, my younger brother, and our little friend, Ricky, who followed us around church, we were right up here, right in the front. And I was just worshiping. I didn't come from a pastor's home, I came from a, quite a broken home, in fact, but the presence of God got a hold of my life. The presence of God being a person, Jesus got a hold of my life and changed everything. And, um, and so if we can be a church that's about him, it changes everything in our city. It truly serves people the best as well, rather, rather than being about programs or um, charismatic leaders. Let's, let's allow it to the, these gatherings and everything that we do to be about him. Amen. Okay, Hebrews chapter four. We have been going through the book of Hebrews now for the last number of weeks, and it's been rich. I pray that it's been a blessing to your life. The book of Hebrews could easily be thought of as um, more cerebral or like uh, academically theological, but it's theological that is, it's, it's theology that is firmly practical and pastoral. The writer of Hebrews always brings to bear whatever he's expounding on in terms of the person of Jesus and the magnificence and majesty of Jesus, he makes it come to bear on our lives in some very real and tangible and practical way. And so is the case today as we look at Jesus being our high priest. Because talking of Jesus in priestly terms is not something that would necessarily be on our radar because we don't think in terms of a priest and a priestly order. 
We live in the new covenant. We live in this age where we don't have a mediator between us and God. Hence why Jesus is our priest. He is the mediator. So we don't have a need for, for human priests anymore. Jesus is our priest. I want us to kind of, I pray that this, these portions of scripture we're gonna get into the next four chapters of Hebrews which expound on Jesus as our high priest more than any other passages in the New Testament, expound on Jesus' high priest. But I'm praying that these passages wreck the way that you read scripture, that you'll begin to see how everything in scripture is pointing to Jesus. All of the, the details and sometimes what seems like kind of finicky uh, particularities of Jesus' or of God's order, the Father's order in the Old Testament, it's pointing to something. He's, he's, not, he's not finicky, he's holy. And he's revealing his holiness and his holy love to a people. So he's very purposeful in what he is doing. He can't be anything other than who he is. And so I'm praying that this changes the way that you read scripture. As you work your way through the Bible in your walk with the Lord, that you begin to see it's all pointing to Jesus. In this new covenant age that we live in, you can think of the church, this is, Scripture, so uh, you can think of the church as the temple of God. Now, and I'm ta- not talking about this building, I'm talking about us as the church. When God's people gather, we are meant to be a place that hosts the presence of God. This is, this is, this, this is not common in the American church per se, but this is Bible through and through, New Testament Bible. First Corinthians chapter three, verse 16 and 17 says, do you not know that you are God's temple? and that God's spirit dwells in you, the correct translation is, do you not know that you all are God's people? The you there is plural. When we are together, our purpose is hosting God's presence, that he would come and dwell in our midst, that we would be a glimpse of heaven on earth. That's God's purpose for for us. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is holy and you are that temple. That's why I said what we're dealing with when we gather together is it's sacred, it's holy. We're on holy ground in these places, in these spaces, irregardless of the extravagance of the space in which we gather. We could be in a field, we could be in a garage, in a warehouse, we could be in this beautiful building. It's holy because we're gathering in the name of Jesus. And this is sacred ground. We then together collectively become the hosting place of God's presence, heaven on earth. And in that then paradigm, that view of God's working amongst humanity, God wanting to dwell with humanity, Jesus serves as our high priest. I'm I'm trying to translate this now into kind of our modern age, what this means for us. Jesus is the the mediator, the representative of what God is like to humanity and what humanity, how humanity then can relate to God. Jesus is our high priest. In the, the old covenant, the, the tabernacle, so pre-temple, at first there was a tabernacle, God revealing himself to Moses and telling Moses to establish a place of his presence amongst the people of Israel as he brought them out of Egypt. I want my presence, I want me, myself, this is God speaking, I want me to be central to my people. 
You're not gonna be like the other nations. I will be your king. That's what God said, God himself said. And so he established the, the rules, regulations for the tabernacle to be in their midst, this place of heaven on earth. That's why God was so particular about setting up the rules and regulations requirements for the tabernacle. Because heaven is holy, that's where God resides. And if, it's, if there's gonna be a place that reflects what heaven is like, it's, it's gonna be very particular, very specific, because God can't be anything other than who he is, than what he is like. It was serious business. These were serious matters in regards to the sacredness of the tabernacle, the sacredness of hosting this place, this place of heaven on earth. And the priest then specifically would be this one, one specific, there was a company of priests, but there was the great high priest that actually got to go into the holy of holies, this place that no one else went but him. And he went into this holy of holiest places on the planet to be a representative of humanity before God, specifically of the Israelite people before God. And when he came out, these encounters with the holiest place on earth, he reflected God in a way that stoked worship in Israel. In that way, he was a representative of God to humanity, to Israel as well. And even the, like the, the way that he was dressed, his, his vestments, his, um, his robes and his crown reflected the majesty of God. It's not that they were supposed to worship the priest, this human priest, but when they saw the priest, especially coming out of the holiest place on earth, worship reverberated across the nation of Israel because uh, the high priest also represented God, was a representative of God to humanity. Jesus now serves as our high priest. I believe right now in this day and age, the Lord is raising up a Jesus people, people not concerned as much with their wants or their needs, but concerned with him. Hence, even why we're so um, passionate for the Lord in our worship. So we begin to take our eyes off the Lord and we turn our eyes to him. We really come into what New Testament Christianity is meant to be. You know, this conference that we're hosting come March has been something that's been on our heart for a number of years. But we believe the Lord's timing has just been perfect for this. There's one thing that we've said in the promo for that conference that we believe the Lord is leading us out of consumerism and out of individualism and into true love and worship and adoration of him. I recently had a friend here in our church ask me that question. Drew, what do, you, what do we mean by consumer Christianity? What is, what is this consumer Christianity? I believe consumer Christianity has, has become a plague in the church of this form of Christianity that tries to conform Jesus to us rather than us being conformed into his image. A form of Christianity that's much more about you know, what the church does for me, what the church provides for me, rather than us coming in, in humble adoration, saying, Lord, we are at your service. Lord, we are yours. It's a form of Christianity that doesn't even take seriously the command of Jesus to love him with all that we are, what Pastor Tony was talking about earlier. They hear that as, oh, that's nice, that's nice. To so love Jesus with all that we are, okay, great. 
Let's move on to other things. I want to I learn about eschatology and, and all this other stuff. And they, they move on to the other things beyond what Jesus calls the greatest commandment, to love him with all that we are. And the second one being similar to to love our neighbor as ourselves. Oh, yeah, laying down our lives for each other. Oh, yeah. They move on to other things. They're self-consumed with self-love and personal happiness. I believe right now the Lord is raising up a people that are truly in love with him. They see him for who he is and they don't want anything else. Hence this, this gathering at the beginning of March. I believe the Lord's gonna really establish this in our church. He's gonna spark it in hearts that, that need to love him more. And all of us, we're gonna walk out of this place after that weekend, I believe, walking greater and greater in this calling to be a people that love him more than anything. So Christianity calls us into the holy of holies, where we behold the majesty and the beauty of God, where our words become few, where our wants and our preferences burn up and we just say, Lord Jesus, how can I worship you? How can I serve you? I believe believe in the days that we're living, the Lord's presence is gonna be entrusted to those who love him and see him as holy. There's this passage, and we will get to Hebrews chapter four, but uh, there's this passage in 2 Chronicles. There's moments in history where God's manifest presence comes and tangibly rests amongst the people. His presence isn't the same everywhere at the same time, and it's actually God's mercy that it's not because you can see the, the dire effects of his manifest presence in a place. You see that in the Old, Old Testament. You see it in the New Testament as well. His, his manifest presence, when God comes near, he is omnipresent, he's present everywhere at the same time, but he comes and manifests his presence, demonstrates his presence in tangible ways, and we need God's mercy to actually be able to stand in those moments and those places. We need his grace to be poured out. There's one moment in Second Chronicles chapter six This is when the temple of Solomon is being dedicated to the Lord. And this song is saying, it says, now arise, O Lord God, and go to your resting place amongst your people. You and the ark of your might. Let your priests, O Lord God, be clothed with salvation. Let your saints rejoice in your goodness. They were walking in their identity. The people of Israel, as the presence of God came and filled tangibly filled, physically filled the temple. They began to walk in their identity as saints, as ones, really a holy priesthood to the Lord. I believe that's what the Lord is restoring in our day. So Hebrews chapter four, we're gonna start reading in verse 14. So I talked about how God is, God uses the priesthood to represent God to humanity to stoke worship in our hearts to him. We saw that already in Hebrews. It says Jesus is the reflection, the perfect reflection of God in Hebrews chapter one, verse three. The son radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God. So in that sense, Jesus is the representative. Obviously, he is fully God. He is that perfect bridge between God and humanity. He's the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. The 
But the other side of this is that the, the, the great high priest is the representative of humanity to God. And that's the greatest thrust of this passage in Hebrews chapter four and five is that Jesus is the representative of humanity before a holy God. Let's read in verse 14, it says this. So then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. Let faith be your foundation. Not just doctrinal adherence, but faith. Throwing yourself, thrusting yourself on the goodness of God displayed in the person of Jesus. I'm actually gonna ask Scott to come forward and I told him I was gonna utilize him more because I feel like the Lord wants to minister to hearts this morning. Jesus is the high priest who entered heaven. The old covenant, that was the holy of holies. Heaven on earth was the the holy of holies. So Jesus was qualified to go into heaven, into the very presence of majesty, in the flesh of humanity. He, He carried the flesh of humanity and he could walk into the holy of holies in heaven itself. And that becomes now our hope and our only source of confidence. The only source of faith is the transaction that happened in that moment in that time. The pierced sacrificial lamb presenting the sacrifice of his own blood at the mercy seat of the majesty. The holy God, the judge of all humanity, being able to come and bring purification for sins. He says, the writer of Hebrews says, hold firmly to that singular truth. Jesus passed into heaven to represent us at the mercy seat. He became the representative of humanity before God. So our confidence is in him and him alone. This is our faith. Faith, if you struggle at all with your faith, doubt, unbelief, wavering, as we, as we all do. I want to remind you that faith is a person. So we're not grasping for faith. I need more faith. I need to go down to the library. I need to read some more books on faith. No, you need Jesus. Faith is a person. You look at him. Don't Google faith. Look at Jesus. Our faith rests in him. Our confidence rests in Jesus as our representative. Increase your fascination with Jesus. Scripture goes on to tell us that he is the author and the perfecter of our faith. So you want to increase your faith, allow, go to the author himself. Go to the, the very creator, the manufacturer of your faith. It's Jesus. Verse 15 says, this high priest of ours understands our weaknesses. For he he faced all the same testings that we do, yet he did not sin. So therefore, let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God, and there we will receive his mercy, and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. Remember what I said earlier, that this 
encounter with this rich theology is so practical. The implication of, an, the implication of encountering Jesus as your great high priest, as the representative for you before a holy God, is that you can come into the throne room of grace yourself. You can come into the holy of holies. You can actually stand before a holy God with your, your chin up with a sense of your identity in the Lord, a sense of confidence. Again, not in yourself, but in the sufficient work of Jesus. The way God revealed himself as holy and just necessitated God coming and taking on flesh in the person of Jesus. It had to be. God, God set it up this way. Some people think, oh, couldn't God just press the button somewhere, press, press the reset button? Well, God revealed him in such a way as holy and just that it required him to then come and take on flesh. It was the only way. The Old Testament way of a priest making these sacrifices, being able to go into the Holy of Holies on the Day of Atonement once a year to atone for the sins of a people. God's justice necessitated that. His holiness required that. So what Jesus did is he came and he became like us. He took on human flesh, walked amongst us and experienced hunger and thirst, experienced testings and persecution and trials and tribulations. He experienced the temptations of humanity. But verse 15, what does it say? Yet he did not sin. He was perfect in every way. So he fully knows your pain. He knows of the human experience. So those lies of the enemy that would tell you that God is distant that God doesn't see you, that he's forgotten you, is obliterated by the person of Jesus. It vanishes in this vision of Jesus as the great high priest who came and took on flesh, who came and painfully, patiently lived amongst us, yet did not sin. We see in great detail the temptations of Jesus in Luke chapter 4, Matthew chapter 4 and Luke chapter 4. Jesus faced the, the temptations of, of greed, of self-serving gratification. He faced the temptations of, of power. He, he faced the temptation of presumption. Yet he was without sin. So the glory fell on a pure sacrifice a perfect sacrifice. And Jesus was the purest. He was the great high priest that went into the fearful, holy place of God and sacrificed himself willingly. And so what does this mean for your life? means that we can boldly and confidently come into the presence of God, not flippantly, not with any, not even an ounce of entitlement, but with a heart full of gratitude 
with a dependence but utter complete confidence at rest in Jesus. I'm not naturally a, a bold person. I'm, I'm much more timid. I'm much more introverted. I, I would, in my flesh, always be stuck in my head. But one of my kids, my, my third born, is just bold as a lion. She'll say it's exactly what's on her mind for good or for bad. So if you want to know if your breath stinks or if, you, if what you're wearing matches, ask my third born and she'll tell you. And we admire, you know, on earth, in humanity, we admire people with confidence. There's just something they, they can walk into a room and, you know, people's eyes turn to those people with that sort of uh, internal confidence. But that's not, that's not what this is talking about. This is not a confidence rooted on the inside. It's a, it's a confidence firmly established on something outwardly, on the person of Jesus. So any, any wavering that we have internally about our standing before God, the answer to that needs to be the perfection of Jesus. His qualifications alone purchasing our entrance into the holy of holies. So it's not a confidence in our performance, our personality, our behavior that week. Our confidence is in the perfection of Jesus. I want you to be set free with a vision of Jesus that calls you into his presence. When you see Jesus as your great high priest, you see him you know, radically clothed in love, the love that would, that would be willing to take on the penalty of sin. But also you see in his eyes this invitation that says, come, follow me into this holy place. Verse 16 says that we can come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. So remember, he's holy. In the, in the sense that God is holy, our knees tremble like we, <laughs> things die if they are unholy in the presence of a holy God. But it's in this revelation of God as our high priest that we see the grace of God. So we're beckoned to come boldly into the throne room of the grace of God, the grace of our gracious God. We see him as our gracious high priest. We see in his eyes this heart for us to come near. That's what he's making a way for. Come near. Child, come near. So this revelation of Jesus as high priest draws us into greater worship. I've already talked about that. Draws us into greater worship. But secondly, this revelation of Jesus' high priest calls us into maturity, the maturity of overcoming sin, not through self-will or gritting our teeth, but rather in greater and greater confidence in coming before the throne room of grace. As the apostle John later tells us in 1 John, living in the light, living honestly before the Lord, living before his presence day and night. If we live in the light before God, it's like we're not playing games. How often do we play games? I won't even ask for a show of hands. How often do we play games with God? 
we like pretend one way in, in some spaces and then we go into the shadows and live another way. The apostle John calls us to live in the light. That's living honestly before God when no one else is looking. In that space, in the light of God, there is forgiveness of sins. He says in 1 John that we have this advocate. We have this one who's gone before us. We can be confident. We confess our sins. He's faithful and just to forgive us. So Jesus as our high priest calls us into a maturity to overcome sin because we experience the throne of grace. We can't continue to do the same things if we are honestly coming into the throne room of grace, encountering his gracious mercy. In immaturity, we would. We would fall back into maybe the same sins. We would go back to the same things. But God's will for your life and this plan that he's revealed redemptively is upward and onward from glory to glory, being made into the image of Christ. So maturity is understanding our lives lived in the sight of God. And when we do sin, as John tells us in 1 John as well, which we will, he says, be honest, don't be a liar, (laughs) be honest that you sin. When we do sin, we quickly respond to the throne room of grace, not flippantly, not in an entitled way. And when we do that, there is a, a forming of the image of Christ in us from glory to glory. That's the Lord's will for us. We draw near to God and he will draw near to us. In this battle for sin, of which we all experience, we don't run away in shame. Like our ancestors, the very beginning, Genesis chapter three, what did they do? They tried to hide from God as such a thing could actually be done. Trying to hide from God, that's what we do when we run away in shame. The writer of Hebrews calls us to come boldly into the throne room of a gracious God. Come and find grace in the presence of our great high priest in the sight of God. Present your body to him as a living sacrifice. Let him deal with and cut off the sin that remains. So right now I just want to stop and minister to your hearts. Minister the grace of a holy God upon your hearts. If you'd all just bow your heads, allow the Lord to come and minister to your heart to convince you to woo your heart, to win your heart. Your confidence is not in your behavior, not your track record. It's not whether or not you've been a great church attender. If your parents are great Christians, your confidence is in one thing alone. It's in your great high priest, King Jesus, who alone could go into the holy of holies and wouldn't just have to offer a sacrifice once a year, but but offered a sacrifice once for all. If you're stuck in sin, please know the Lord's will for your life is for you to step into maturity. The book of Revelation calls those ones, those ones who overcome. And 
Paul tells us that we are more than conquerors in Christ. But the answer for your sin issue is not you just gritting your teeth and clenching your fist, wishing it away. The answer is a vision of Jesus as your sufficient high priest and that confidence would increase in your life, that that's the only way. It's the only way to come near into the presence of a holy God. And in that place, you'll see him for who he is and your heart will be undone and you'll grow in love with Jesus and grow as a worshiper. And, and those things that you used, you used to struggle with, those sins that used to have your name, they won't have your name anymore. They won't have the same pull on you. It's like what Paul talked about them. Those things I used to consider so valuable I consider them worthless garbage compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus. Lord, would you minister to hearts this morning? Gracious, holy God. Gracious, holy God. The God that did not leave us at a, at a distance but rather called us near and led the way by making the only way through the great high priest, Jesus. Minister to hearts this morning. For those that have treated the grace of God flippantly, the kindness of God, May you have a conviction of his holiness upon your life this morning. What we're dealing with is something holy, someone holy. The consequences are serious. a maturity that's going to come upon this church family in the days to come. To not continue to go back to the same muck and mire and sins, but to take our great high priest by the hand into the throne room of a gracious God boldly. I want to keep reading in Hebrews chapter five. It says, every high priest is a man chosen to represent other people in their dealings with God. That's what I had said. High priest represents God to humanity to stoke worship, but the great high priest represents humanity before God, before a holy God. He represents their gifts to God and offers sacrifices for their sins. And he is able to deal gently with ignorant and wayward, wayward people because he himself is subject to the same weaknesses. That's why he must offer sacrifices for his own sins as well as theirs. He is speaking to them in the language that they're familiar as many of these um, 
believers were Jewish in heritage. They understood this system of sacrifices and offerings and the priestly order. But he's setting Jesus apart. These ones, the ones, the, the high priests that came before, they actually had to offer sins or offer, offer sacrifices for their own sins. Verse four, no one can become a high priest simply because he wants such an honor. He must be called by God for this work, just as Aaron was. That's why Christ did not honor himself by assuming he could become high priest. No, he was chosen by God, who said to him, you are my son, today I've become your father. And in another passage, God said to him, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Which the writer of Hebrews will go on to talk more about the priestly order of Melchizedek, so we won't get into that a lot this morning, but the point being that Jesus didn't appoint himself. He humbly submitted himself to, to fulfilling all of the expectations, preferences, and prescriptions of God the Father, and in that was revealed as the perfect Son of God. He never ceased to be perfect, but there was a fulfilling and rising up into the perfection revealed to humanity that needed to be fulfilled. But he didn't choose himself. And so it was with the earthly priests. They were from the, the tribe of, Le, of Levi, so that tribe was not cho chosen by man. It was God that appointed that tribe. Within that tribe, they were from the line of Aaron. So those were ones that did not uh, choose themselves. You were just born into that, into that tribe and into that line, the line of Aaron. And then within the line of Aaron, the great high priest was the eldest in the line of Aaron. This is one who, they didn't appoint themselves, God chose that great high priest. And so it is with Jesus. This is my son in whom I'm, in whom I'm well pleased. Verse seven, while Jesus was here on earth, he offered prayers and pleadings with loud cry and tears to the one who could rescue him from death. And God heard his prayers because of his deep reverence for God. Even though Jesus was God's son, he learned obedience from the things he suffered. In this way, God qualified him as a perfect high priest, and he became the source of eternal salvation for all those who obey him. And God designated him to be a high priest in the order of Melchizedek. So this encounter with Jesus as our high priest, like I said earlier, impacts our worship. We see God perfectly in the person of Jesus. Secondly, it impacts our maturity as we overcome sin because we see this invitation to come boldly in the throne of grace. But, but thirdly, it imp impacts our prayer life. It impacts our ability to come before the Lord in the struggle of life. And no one, and, and actually experience intimate fellowship with one who's familiar with the wrestling and the toil of this world. We have a great high priest who's been in the places that we've been, who's familiar, he's a man, of, a man familiar with our sorrows. And so Lord, this morning I pray for those that have been laboring in prayer over things. I pray for an intimate fellowship with you as they've wrestled, as they've carried burdens, some for years, some for even decades. I pray that there would be a, a fellowship 
in their sufferings and the sufferings of Christ as they carry these things into the place of prayer and it'd be in the place of prayer that the burdens would be lifted as they would encounter one who, who takes those burdens, who carries them, who brings the breakthrough. I pray it in your mighty name. If you'd all stand to your feet, I'm gonna invite the prayer teams forward this morning. Jesus is our high priest, of which we'll get into more in the weeks to come. Is not purely an intellectual, academic, theological reality. It has deep implications for our life. And I pray that as you see Jesus as your high priest, there'll be greater love in your heart that's stoked in worship, that you'll overcome sin as you boldly hear the, the invitation to come into his presence. And thirdly, you'll have breakthrough in your prayer life. So Lord, I pray that you'd bless us this morning. This has been the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at lifepoint.cc.